two dudes, one microphone, absolutely zero calves. Welcome to Team No Cabs Radio with your hosts, Ali and Adam. Hello, guys, and welcome to episode 15 of the Team No Cars Radio podcast with your hosts, Ollie and Adam, as always. Today, we have some very interesting topics for you, or at least we hope you find them interesting. We're going to be talking about things that aren't stopping you from losing weight. And we thought it would be cool to come at it from this angle, just because as evidence-based practitioners and evidence-based coaches, we can talk until we are blue in the face about the fundamental principles of fat loss and muscle gain. Uh, But unfortunately, it only takes our clients or the consumers of our content to see something online or in the general media that kind of points to different ideas uh, and to become quickly confused as to what's maybe preventing their fat loss. And so we wanted to clear some of those ideas up, potentially dispel any mythology or dogma behind these, these aspects uh, and we'll get stuck into some non-tracking methods for, for losing weight too at the end. But first, Adam, how are you, mate? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, we were just um, laughing about the fact that I bit my lip just before starting the podcast. And now I'm, I'm dealing with this with like blood pouring from my face. So uh, I don't think we're YouTube in the video, are we? There's no YouTube, is there? No, no, we're not YouTube in it. But okay. just know in the background, guys, there is a hell of a lot of drama going on. So this is an intense podcast. Yeah. So if at some point uh, during this podcast you just hear me hit the floor, it's all it is is just blood loss. <laughs> <laughs> Epic. So, other than that, I'm good, mate. I just had a good, good training session. Everything's nice. Um, yeah, nice and busy. So uh, looking forward to getting through this one here. I think it's going to be a a nice topic to go through um the it's funny like you were mentioning about the principles of it you know the the science and the evidence and everything like that and at the end of the day it, it's like um uh the bird box you've seen the bird box memes where yeah, it's like, yeah. like like opening the eyes and um yeah it's basically like you know as much as you can try and try and, and talk about this to people Anytime something comes up that's a little bit different, it's always going to kind of draw your attention towards it. Mm-hmm. We're all human, and it doesn't matter how much you know, there's always going to be something that comes out, and you look at it, and you go, mm, I wonder if there's anything behind that. So it'd be nice to kind of delve into that, and hopefully um, there'll be some topics that we kind of cover that you might think, oh, right, okay, cool, yeah, that's something I always was unsure of or had yeah. heard yeah. talk about, you know. So, um, no, it'd be good. So I think a uh, good place to start off with um, with this would be, um, eating too few calories. Um, mm. So it's probably pretty common for us to, to hear someone say, oh, you know, I was, uh, I took my calorie intake too low and went into starvation mode. Um, <laughs> and, you know, everything slowed right down and it just meant that I came to a standstill. And because of that, um, you know, I couldn't take calories any lower. Um, and therefore, you know, I had to push my calories up that stoked my metabolism, you know, and then all of a sudden I started losing weight. So, you know, that's, that's pretty kind of common scenario. Is that something you find out? Yeah. Yeah. I hear that quite a lot to be fair. Yeah. So it would be good to kind of delve into, um, I guess the reasons why, uh, people kind of have said this and people kind of feel this. Um, so the biggest factor I tend to notice with something like this is, uh, just an issue of adherence, you know, Mm. so, um, obviously, eating it a very, very low calorie intake, something way below what your kind of daily calorie um, needs are to, to maintain body weight is generally going to lead itself towards um, 
one thing in particular, and that's a lack of dietary adherence. So mm. just kind of forgetting about excess calories coming in here and there from picking at something, um, you know, short little binging sessions, a day here or there where you might, you know, class it as a bit of a, of a cheat day. And in reality, what's kind of happening is whilst we're eating very, very low, kind of might be Monday to Friday, our intake on Saturday and Sunday is obviously leading to a much higher, higher average. And, and this is why typically what I tend to get people to do when I'm working with them is if we're, we're targeting kind of quite aggressive um, fat loss, I tend to give weekly targets for things like mm. um, calorie intake if they're tracking, you know. Um, and we'll be able to talk about a little bit on sort of further on the podcast about what things I would look to get someone like that to do if they're not tracking, which is going to be kind of the next topic. Um, how do you typically deal with people who who are feeling this, that they're eating too few calories and, you know, that's why they've not been losing weight? Yeah, sure. I mean, similarly to you, my, my initial kind of presumption is that there's, there's a lack of adherence, uh, whether that's knowingly or unknowingly. So we do have situations whereby the client thinks they're being adherent and they genuinely do feel as though they're sticking to the plan 100%, you know, their, their nutritional targets, uh, but there's just, you know, things slipping in, as you kind of mentioned, um, you know, whether that be condiments, uh, liquid calories that just aren't being tracked. Uh, so that's a kind of unknowingly unadherent client. So somebody who thinks they're being um, adherent, but just isn't by accident. And that's usually just down to uh, lack of experience. I don't usually come across that too frequently because uh, I limit the amount of, of clients that I work with in an online capacity uh, who are inexperienced. I, I generally take on people who have a decent amount of years training, and that usually comes with uh, some experience in tracking as well. So, uh, But we're kind of getting sidetracked there. But the point is, is what I would usually tend to do in that situation, and, and we kind of ride the way for a little while. It's not an, an immediate intervention, but if it's going on for a couple of weeks and the client's becoming a bit frustrated with not seeing progress on the scales. Uh, it might be a case of I actually step in and say, you know, this isn't something that we usually do, but how about we just try this meal plan? And mm -hmm. I know the, the complete, you know, calorie range of this meal plan. I know the macronutrient breakdown. Uh, and if we can stick to that for a week uh, and see what happens with your scale weight, we can then potentially establish if there's, you know, something happening wrong your end, which is absolutely mm -hmm. fine. We just correct that or if indeed there's something a little bit more sinister going on and we just give them that as, a, as an option to keep them feeling good, I guess, and, and like yeah. it's not all their fault, you know? So yeah. is that something that you've ever done ads or? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, you know, it will usually be an approach of what I'll get them to do sometimes is I'll actually get them to um, ditch, if they're tracking, I'll get them to ditch tracking and uh, basically write me out a food diary. Mm -hmm. um, so what I'll do is I'll actually be like, right, I want you to write it down. Every single time you eat something, I want you to actually write it down. So write the mm -hmm. portion size, um, you know, write down what the manufacturer was. Go in quite um, kind of a, a lot of depth because some of the ish times the issue is is it's in inaccurate tracking that they are, like you say, unknowingly doing. You know, so mm -hmm. Fitness Power is is not a perfect you know setup, and the amount of calories they think they might be eating. Whilst, you know, they might be tracking everything, they might have some incorrect de incorrect data going on as well. So mm. something I'll typically get someone to do is, like I say, ditch the phone, go back to the old pen and paper, write out a food diary, present it to me after, you know, three days of a food diary. And then I can actually have a look and go, oh, OK, so, you know, how many calories do you think this is? And straight away they'll go, well, my fitness pal tells me that, you know, um, 100 
uh, grams of rice is 150 calories and straight away I'm like, okay, cool. I know there's some issues here yeah. in the tracking yeah. approach. Um, something else I think that kind of tends to lead into people feeling like eating too few calories will, um, you know, stop them losing weight is actually seeing water retention on the scales a lot of the time. Mm. So, um, oftentimes that the harder you make a deficit, sometimes the more you'll get in the way of water retention. I think I'll look mm. a bit of stress, the stress response is that sometimes, you know, dropping that intake down. Um, aggressively whilst you will see you know large drops on the scale is sometimes you will see a very very um short-term initial kind of plateauing on the scale from initial being initial being the key word there right yes of course not long term you know you're not gonna you're not just gonna retain water forever and turn into like a big fucking ball of water Um, (laughs) you know you will uh, sometimes see that and that person will do that for one week jump on the scales go shit you know the weight's not come off i must have dropped my calories too low and, and so that's that's an understandable thing for people to, to think mm. well I, i'll often i'll often hear um it sounds awful i'm not digging at any of my clients specifically so if anyone's listening <laughs> and, and feels that this applies to you well if the shoe fits wear it but um <laughs> the point is what, what i'll quite often hear is um you know, there'll, there'll be lots of excuses. Sounds awful. I'm not going to say excuses, uh, but I can't think of another word. So I will say excuses. <laughs> <laughs> there'll be excuses coming through saying my stress has been really high this week. My sleep's been awful. And they're, and they're kind of edging me towards um, the, the kind of water retention route. Um, and that's absolutely fine. Um, but what we've got to realize and the analogy that I give to them is that even if you experience water retention from now for the foreseeable future because of all these variables such as stress and sleep and being in this extreme deficit of calories um, what you've got to remember is is that you'll still be losing body fat behind the scenes and so long term your scale weight should still be coming down uh, after two three weeks of water retention because it's happening in conjunction with water retention so if body fat is coming off then the scale weight will still be coming down. Maybe not uh, completely um, respectable of what's happening because obviously there is some water retention, but we should look to see that number coming down regardless. Um, yeah. And then they kind of shy away from using that excuse any further. So sorry if anyone's listening and think that's you, but yeah. it's not you. Uh, but, yeah. but it is something I hear quite a lot. Yeah, and I think this is where it can be very useful um, when people are in that kind of situation where, you know, they are, say, retaining a lot of water is using just scale weight as your only way of, of um, kind of measuring what's going in in terms of like body mass um, and you know, kind of body composition is sometimes going to leave you in this kind of position of, you know, unknowing. And this is why I always get people if they're using scale weight to also use sight measurements, or like tape mm-hmm. measurements, um, because while sometimes the weight might not be coming down, measurements are changing. We've seen this. I mean, I remember when we used to work on the, the Grenade for Eight program, you know, I would see this all the time. You know, people's um, weight barely changing, but their body composition changes were huge, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and someone would be like, I just don't understand what's going on. And you'd know that if you gave it a couple more weeks, all of a sudden you'd see a massive drop of scale because their measurements were, were coming in so, at such great amounts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the only other thing I want to kind of touch on with the eating too few calories thing is, uh, is basically... Uh, energy levels being down, leading to you know large reductions in NEAT. You know, so yeah. just general day-to-day activity. So this is the one thing that we got to understand is that energy intake and and um, you know output are 
dynamic. You know, it's like being on a seesaw. One's going to affect the other. Um, and, and so sometimes what people will notice from dropping calories down is that they will just start being a lot more lazy. And it's not essentially just because they are on um, reduced calories. It's just because they start giving themselves excuses as well for, you know, I'm going to sit down now, things like that. Whereas if you purposely say, let's let's focus on your general activity, let's focus on things like steps, you know, let's let's make you aware of how often are you sitting down. All of a sudden you start writing the, the you know, the seesaw to the position you want it to. And, and so this is one of the things that. Now, ideally, if we can diet people on high calories and higher output, tends to lead to better uh, maintenance of weight loss long term, just based on on the stuff I've seen. Um, but you know, it's not a case of okay, we've dropped your calories down, everything's slowed down, and and you know, you're just not going to lose weight even if we drop calories again. So mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and just to finish that that kind of point up. Conversely, what we see the other end that is largely incorrect that we hear is um, when your NEAT levels do drop due to not excessive dieting, but just dieting and, and your energy levels dropping and, and then subsequently pushing food up by the way of like maybe a refeed, for example. Uh, and then we see this um, huge drop in the scales. What people will call that is, as you mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, is kickstarting your metabolism or mm. whatever i can't remember what you called it stoking your metabolism but you hear so many different uh, varieties of the same term don't you yeah um, but but all that's all that's happening there is a few things like you eat more food you eat more carbohydrates and you're just in a much more relaxed environment you're having yeah. a great time you've got crispy creams hanging out your mouth and you probably got a whole bunch of new energy that you didn't have before so you're moving around you're fidgeting you're bashing one, <clears throat> you're bashing one out new energy (laughs) so (laughs) so all of a sudden yeah you've you've created this a this huge additional deficit of energy from just actually moving more and b you're so much more relaxed and and you might experience some of this this water retention is dropping due to that and that's usually what causes scale weight to come down after a couple of high days of food for example nothing to do with your metabolism being kick-started or whatever it might be Cool. No, that's a great point. Great point. Um, cool. So uh, the next thing we were going to go into was um, hormones. Um, mm. Now this is one of those areas. Talking about hormones is, I think it's it's definitely become very very um, popular within the fitness industry, and I think it's because you know everyone wants to sort of be dazzled by science. You know, yeah. and so when someone starts talking about it, all of a sudden, you know, and and the thing to remember is that there are very few um, personal trainers or, you know, nutritionists who are endocrinologists, mm. you know. And so understanding of hormones is always going to be extremely basic amongst most people. You know, mm. despite what you may see, um, it's still going to be when it comes to weight loss, hormones are not what dictates weight loss. You know, that's that's not it's the wrong way around to look at it. It's like putting the horse before the cart. You know, calories will affect hormones, but we're not when we're looking to lose weight. I'm not going right. Let's think about how this is going to affect hormones before I think about calories. You know, it's it's more almost like a retrospective thing at the end of the day. Like yeah. I know yeah. pushing down someone's calories for an excessive period of time, there are going to be certain changes in terms of um, certain things like uh, thyroid stimulating hormone and cortisol and all that kind of you know 
crap that really I never think about in terms of when I'm I'm starting someone off and, and you know trying to help them lose weight none of it ever comes into my mind whatsoever and this is one thing that I think people start talking about hormones and then they completely forget the actual uh, you know the big picture of actually know what's happening with your energy in and, and your energy out mm-hmm. yeah I think a, a nice <clears throat> general consensus for for anybody that you see or follow on social media and they're talking about hormones and they're talking about it in a way um, to assist you along your fat loss journey or or muscle gaining journey, I would just switch off and um, perhaps consume your content elsewhere because it's just wasted efforts. Uh, And and like Adam says there, it's, it's something that happens because of dieting. It's not something that we need to consider to... Um, initiate dieting if you like uh, like you, you, I love that analogy it's putting the the cart before the horse it's just the complete wrong way around of looking at things yeah yeah and I, I think where um, uh, I guess if you know with any of these things it's always come from like a shred of truth that's kind of mm. been like kind of blown out of proportion and yeah. essentially what you're looking at really when you're looking at um, like loss of body tissue is that yeah being chronically stressed might mean that you do lose more muscle to fat like a higher ratio of muscle to fat than you would if you were let's say extremely relaxed you know it's you may uh, accrue slightly more um visceral fat if you are let's say chronically stressed and eating at maintenance or above um you know and, and not doing any kind of exercise but these are things that aren't affecting you losing weight they're just affect those are things affect the kind of metabolic health, you know, which is mm. typically always going to be improved when you put someone in a bit of a calorie deficit and you know they're doing some exercise. So, I guess that's probably yeah. as far as I want to go on that. Yeah, cool. Uh, why don't we get stuck into uh, the notion and the idea that certain food groups entirely are are the cause of you not losing weight? So, gluten is probably the biggest one, isn't it? It's like um, yeah. Yeah, I can't lose weight because uh, I've been eating gluten, and so I'm going kind of gluten free or whatever uh, as a means yeah. of creating fat loss. Yeah. Uh, have you ever seen the film um, This Is the End? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, there'll be some people that are listening to this, and they'll be going, "Yes, fucking no!" <laughs> at the start, he's basically like, <laughs> they're in the car, and he's like, "Oh, do you want to go to uh, In and Out, which is like the burger place, isn't it?" Mm. And um, he's like, no, no, no. He's like, I cut out gluten. He's like, I cut out all that shit, cut out gluten. And he's like, you don't even know what gluten is. And he's like, of course I know what gluten is. He's like, gluten's fat, gluten's sugar, gluten's calories. He's like, <laughs> he's like, anything that tastes good is a gluten. <laughs> and it's basically what I think most people think gluten is. You know, it's yeah. like you're saying, what's gluten? And someone would say, you know, they'll think, oh, well, gluten is a donut. Yeah, yeah. Well, while we're there, Ad, why can you just maybe tell the listeners what gluten is? Uh, yeah, so gluten. and that might be a, that might be a nice little segue as to why that's potentially not stopping you from losing fat. Um, yeah, so gluten is um, a group of proteins um, found within cereal grains. So you're going to be getting it in things like wheat, barley, rye, and oats. And these are obviously why these are the the things you buy in the kind of free from aisle, you know, from from Tesco. So yeah, that's essentially what gluten is. Um, and uh, certain people like um, celiacs obviously have an extreme 
uh, adverse reaction to gluten um, and uh, essentially it will cause all kinds of issues in their stomach so within their stomach lining and they'll get you know on ridiculous amounts of pain you know i know um i used to work next to a lady who was uh, celiac and you know if she had anything containing gluten she would be ended up at the hospital now there are certain um there's a certain vagueness around if there is things like non-celiac gluten sensitivity um however uh, it's still kind of quite up in the air i wouldn't say it's like proven but certainly some people do seem more um have certain more adverse reactions to gluten but this is coming down to you know digestion bowel health things like that not losing weight you know yeah Yeah. at the end of the day if you get someone who's celiac and you feed them a a gluten diet probably going to lose a lot of weight because they're not going to be able to want to eat anything (laughs) you know Uh, and and uh basically what people typically um the, the proxy that they get wrong is is people tend to um misrepresent gluten as uh, calories and most of the time it ends up being calories from carbohydrates so what do they do when they cut out gluten they cut out a lot of the foods they typically tend to overeat you know foods that are um, perhaps high in um, added sugars you know it might be high in fats as well because people don't really typically know what it is that they're kind of trying to restrict so they end up just yeah. restricting food groups that are typically very very tasty easy to overeat on and therefore they've just restricted low calories and i know um who's uh uh what was who's the guy that martin mcdonald um pulled up on this uh duncan bannertine you know mm. so part of that you know reduce take away all your gluten i'm going to lose loads and loads of weight tons and tons of weight cool what did you you know replace the foods from that you're previously eating that contains gluten Either nothing, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Either nothing or uh, you know vegetables or fruits or something like that. Oh, cool. There's tons of calories changed. Yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah. But, uh, so we covered gluten. What about um, foods? So this can obviously work still within food groups. Is um, basically high GI foods. So foods that yeah. have high what's called glycemic index. So do you want to explain a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, this is the this is the insulin fairy, the this, the fear of the insulin fairy, um, and it's this this fear that if you're consuming foods that are slightly higher on the GI index, so um, they they give a a slightly bigger insulin response, if you like, uh, because of their their carbohydrate content. Um, there's this notion that consuming those foods could be stunting your fat loss. Um, and I was actually speaking about this on, on Instagram the other day, uh, and I think I can understand the kind of thought process that people are going through when they come up with these, these rationales. Um, and that's what you kind of need to do is you need to think, right, where are people getting this from? What, cause like you said previously, I think it was with the, um, hormone balance. It usually comes from like a strand of truth. Like mm-hmm. they're taking, they're taking something and then they're just running away with it and just completely taking it out of context. Uh, and I think with the high GI thing, you know, we, if you know a little bit, you know that insulin is what we kind of label as the, the storage hormone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you're consuming foods that are incredibly high in, in these high GI foods, uh, and then you're releasing lots of this storage hormone, 
and then you're storing all this, all these calories and all this fat as, as body fat. So I think that's one approach that people are kind of coming at this from. Uh, and I think something else is that um, uh, it's almost like this, they, they have this overloading of insulin idea that you, the, the more insulin you secrete, uh, the less able you are to to get rid of the nutrients or, or uptake the nutrients. I, I don't really know, I don't fully understand where it comes from, from but, but it's important to know that the GI of the foods that you're consuming plays little to no relevance uh, yeah. to your, your, your fat mass or your fat gain. And it, it, all it comes down to is your energy balance. Um, mm -hmm. Is it a good idea to, to eat foods that are, you know, quite fibrous, Generally speaking, is it a good idea to eat foods um, that are high GI all the time? Probably not, if we're talking from a health perspective. Um, but is it going to be affecting your fat loss if you're in a deficit of energy? No. Um, and I think that's where people go wrong is, like you, we, we constantly say, is they don't have their big rocks in place and they're thinking about all this small stuff before getting the basics completely right. Yeah. No, exactly. Definitely, definitely. Um... Cool. I don't think really I wanted to, the only other thing I perhaps I wanted to um, speak about when it comes to the GI of um, a food is uh, possibly in like PCOS, so in polycystic mm. oak syndrome, syndrome um, there is uh, kind of some evidence behind having a lower GI diet does help them, tend to help them lose weight better. However, is that because of... Um, the GI itself or is it because of the things like you say that it promotes their like the fiber intake having a higher fiber diet and things like that is it actually just the inclusion of lower GI foods rather than the exclusion of high mm. GI foods, you know so yeah, yeah. So that was a good point um, good point to make there um okay being dehydrated this is a, this is another one you know mm. um things that won't stop you you losing weight so this is one that i i hear quite often is you know someone won't lo have, have lost weight during the week and they'll go oh, but I'm, I'm drunk enough water this week that's what it is you know that is really um i'm, I'm sure there'll be a, a load of coaches out there that'll go oh yeah you know i hear that all the time and i've always thought that being dehydrated was you know a reason that you it would stop you losing weight um so in terms of evidence behind being dehydrated stopping you losing weight there's certainly Nothing that would, um, you know, stand out in terms of like, oh, okay, you were dehydrated. You, you know, this group was eating 2,000 calories a day. That group was eating 2,000. One was, you know, kept in a, a, a position of slight dehydration and the other was um, hydrated relatively well. You know, the groups are going to lose very similar amounts of weight, whether one group slightly dehydrated, you know, versus the other. So kind of where has this conception come from or misconception come from? Well, definitely uh, from the stuff I've seen, when they kind of test this theory, what they typically will get people to do is drink a load of water before eating a meal. Um, and then doing so tends to affect the how much food you will eat at the subsequent meal. You know, mm. why is that? Because you've kind of just filled yourself up full of water. You've just filled your stomach up a little bit and therefore you're going to feel full quick. You know, if I if I was to just down a pint of water, and this is always it's always it's always 500 mils pretty much. If I was to down a pint of water um, straight away before trying to eat something, I think I would probably feel a bit like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm done. Yeah. yeah, you're down a pint. You know exactly how that feels, and so it's unsurprising that if you get people to do this in a controlled test environment, they probably will eat a bit less at the subsequent meal because they've eaten less. 
they're in a bigger calorie deficit than the other group. However, if you just take people who, let's say, and I don't know if this is actually something that has been sort of studied, but let's just say you get people to drink as they normally would and then take a group and just say, right, I'm not going to let you drink really anything at all. Now let's measure, you know, are they losing weight at different rates? As far as I'm aware, there's nothing at all out there that would kind of indicate that that, that is the case. Uh, why? I think, could... I, th I think, I think, you know, often when people use their I'm not drinking enough water thing um, for, for not losing weight, I think they often refer back to the whole water retention argument yeah. as well. It's like, oh, yeah, I haven't drunk enough water this week. I'm, I'm really holding water uh, and that's why I'm not losing weight. Um, have you ever come across that? Have you heard anyone say anything similar yeah. to that? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's that's that's a definitely common thing where people are like, oh, you know, I've my um, my water intake has been low, and I, I've you know retained. And I hear a lot of this time, especially around kind of um, uh, ladies at certain times in the cycle, they'll go yeah. right, I'm retaining a lot of water. I'm just going to drink, drink more and more and more and more water. Now, I think the thing to always remember is that our water balance within the body has to be extremely tightly controlled because it is unbelievably essential that we have a, a, a correct kind of um, balance of you know electrolytes and water and that within the body for you know most processes within the body mm. and so drinking loads and loads of water will yeah definitely make you pee out a lot of water but mm. like like I say drinking less water will make you pee less you know so mm. the reality is is there very little that we're doing to affect how much water we hold within the body from our our um uh, water intake you know it's going to regulate itself pretty tightly anyway due to yeah. hormones yes so there we go so now i think that's, that's a fair point there yeah cool um let's touch on on alcohol consumption this is one that you'll always get asked it's like uh can i can i drink alcohol on a diet and still lose and still lose weight uh so it's not yeah. often the case of you won't normally hear somebody saying oh i'm not losing weight because I'm drinking that's that's not that's not the approach that people take it's more can I drink and still lose weight uh, and yeah. in short the answer is yes isn't it I mean uh, you know a calorie is a calorie uh, and for every and it's funny because we measure alcohol's macronutrient rate or, or calorie content in grams but nobody yeah. measures alcohol in grams <laughs> I, I certainly don't pour out 20 grams of gin each Friday um, no, but, more like um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, but we know that for every for every gram of of alcohol, um, we've got seven calories. Um, mm -hmm. So the, a calorie is a calorie, and it will it will affect your energy balance the same as anything else. Well, the same as protein, the same as carbohydrate and fat will. It's it's not. Um, we don't even really, well, we do consider it a macronutrient, but we don't consider it as a source of energy. We never really prescribe our clients with, yeah, sure. I want you to have 200 grams of protein, uh, this much carbohydrate, this much fats, and I want you to have 20 grams of alcohol. Uh, but it's, it's still, it's still used. Oh, do you? <laughs> in my breakdowns. And if you'd like to be an online client of mine, you can find me at... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every Adam gets 20 signups after this podcast. Yeah. Um, but, but... The, the important point to, to note is what happens after we consume alcohol. So Adam, if you want to touch on that and, and the kind of the day preceding alcohol consumption and what we generally tend to see, at least anecdotally. Yeah. Yeah. Like you say, the next day, we all know what it's like to have had a gut full um, the night before. You wake up the next day 
pretty groggy. Last thing you want to do is go hit the gym, go for a run, you know, mm. go out for a long walk. You're typically going to be a little bit more sluggish throughout the day, a little bit more likely to sit down. You're also going to be a lot more likely to reach for carbon fat rich foods, you know, so things that are not only obviously energy dense, but are going to provide that kind of um, you know, energy rewards. You know? So very highly caloric foods, things that are easy to grab. We're going to grab a lot of junk food, things that are easy to make. And so, you know, we have a combination there of actually the alcohol itself is not what's caused the issue. Um, provided you're not obviously, you know, you've gone away and drunk 2000 calories of alcohol, then yeah, you just added that onto the, your, your day's food intake as well. But let's say, you know, the, the night before you still managed to um, control your calorie intake towards targets, you know, with some moderate to high alcohol consumption, not that that's caused the issue. It's the next day, you know, it's the fallout the next day, it's the excess calories consumed and reduction of calories burned just through you know, fatigue uh, and uh, things like of that nature. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, the thing is, um, you know, the thing that people actually don't realize a lot of time is that alcohol intake actually acutely increases energy expenditure. You know, so give someone some alcohol, they move around a lot more. You know? So um, if, if you're, uh, you know, worried about actually is, you know, 50 calories from alcohol going to make me, you know, lose less weight than 50 calories from broccoli, the reality is, is that the actual uh, energy output from the alcohol, you know, is higher or would typically be higher because of increases in energy expenditure. So there you go. I've just said. What, yeah. Uh, what message? Yeah, so, so number one, Adam prescribes alcohol as a macronutrient on his on his programs, and number yep. two, he's advocating the use of alcohol to lose weight. This is this is it. We're so done. Instead we're, of we're finished, mate. Yeah, instead yeah. of broccoli. <laughs> We're yeah, I know there'll be loads of people now who'll be going and they'll be going to have their chicken, rice, and vodka. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> but I mean, how many how many overweight overweight alcoholics do you see? No, that's yeah. very true. To be fair, <laughs> good point. Well, you're you're seeing, unfortunately, you know, catabolism from acute alcohol intake, very little food intake, and this is it: is that being worried about having the same amount of calories from alcohol as um, you would have from anything else, whilst from a health benefit, certainly not something you should be doing. From a weight loss perspective, obviously, it doesn't tend to make any sense there, you know. So, mm, yeah. so there we go. Cool. I think we um, we buried that topic. Um, we did also have another subject to, to delve into, uh, so we can get into a couple of these. These are, these are pretty cool. We wanted to talk about um, some non-tracking approaches to weight loss. So just whilst we're on the subject of losing weight and losing body fat, um, it's not all about my fitness pal. Uh, we can quite easily become obsessed with tracking numbers in an app. Uh, so it'd be really cool to delve into some of the strategies that uh, we use with clients um, for, for not using my fitness pal and, and doing things the good old fashioned way. So should we get stuck into some of these ads and you can kick us off with uh, some of your favorite strategies for non-tracking methods? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, one of my favorite strategies is actually just a fasting approach. Um, so to go with um, something like a, uh, you know, you can go with something like a 5-2 approach where you have a couple of days of just very low intake and the rest of the days maintain pretty much exactly the same. Obviously, straight away, we've just uh, made a large calorie deficit over the course of the week. 
We spend less time dieting over the course of the week because we get it all done in a couple of hits during the week. And we haven't had to think about any changes in particular. You know, all we've done is we've just taken away food from a couple of days. And we on those days, I typically tend to make them protein sparing for a client who's you know, main goal is they want to maintain muscle mass as well. So, you know, we might say on that day, cool, you're going to target six to 800 calories. And I'm going to try and get you to eat something like, you know, 100 grams of protein within that day or 120 grams of protein within that day. Straight away, people are like, whoa, you know, 600 calories, only 100, 120 grams of protein. I'm going to lose all my muscle mass. You know, But this isn't the case. This isn't typically what's shown. You know, the thing you've got to think about is the other five days you're eating at a, a, you know, possibly a roughly maintenance figure um, with plenty of protein feedings, uh, which in reality stands you in better state the other five days of the week than uh, a, a linear seven day approach to dieting would, you know, so that's something I like to use. Um, the intermittent fasting approach, so actually reducing the size of your eating window is something that um, I definitely love, love people doing. And for I guess my favorite one that I like people to do, which goes completely in the face of what, um, you know, most people would have kind of believed was for people who are habitual breakfast eaters. So they usually eat breakfast kind of every day. I'll get them to get rid of their breakfast. So I'll say, right, get rid of your breakfast, you know, or if you're not going to get rid of it, make it later on in the day. And therefore you might have skipped a meal out because you've had breakfast when you'd usually have lunch. Mm-hmm. So, Straight away, I might have taken 500 calories out of that person's day. There's their deficit done. Everything else remains the same. Maybe we perhaps increase protein slightly at, um, at other meals. Um, what about you, mate? Is there anything in particular that you like, like doing kind of with clients? Yeah, obviously, it, it, it largely depends on who you've got in front of you uh, and where they're currently at and what they're currently doing because some of these strategies work better with different people. Uh, but, you know, if you've got somebody in you, in, in front of you who is, you know, a really unhealthy eater, just making simple swaps in their nutrition. So getting an understanding of what they currently do with their nutrition in terms of the kind of food choices they're making, like specific food choices, and then just giving them simple swaps. So things like um, changing the full fat milk they put on their cereal to something like an, an unsweetened almond milk, um, changing the full fat fizzy drinks for a diet version, uh, just little simple swaps like that really do accumulate to, to big drops in energy intake across the day. Uh, yeah. So that's something that I, that I kind of like to do. Um, there, there's some research done in the, in the obese population, which isn't something that we obviously get too involved with because we're, we're dealing with, um, I mean, I, you, you can now be in, be in MNU certified. I'm not quite <laughs> there yet. I'm nearly there. So I, <laughs> um, but yeah one month my exams next month so i'm kind of bricking it a little bit uh been pr- pretty busy what with children etc arriving so uh, a little bit behind on studying but I'm, sh- I'm sure i'll be all right um but yeah the the obese population and what they did was the alternating day fast which is i thought was really really cool uh, so they had these these individuals fasting for a day and then just eating ab libitum on the subsequent day um, and huge drops in in um, in body weight across the week following that approach. And realistically, when we think about an, an adherence perspective from um, an obese individual, what the likelihood of them going away and actually having a full day of fasting is probably pretty slim. So they probably were doing their best to fast, but still consuming some calories uh, and then eating ab libitum on subsequent days. And 
still seeing huge drops in in body weight so that's really really cool i like that um so that's definitely something that i would try uh, in the future um but there's just loads there's so many ways that you can uh, create a deficit of food or a deficit of energy across the week without using my fitness pal um, yeah. and it's actually just thinking logically as to how you can create a calorie deficit with yourself or with your clients uh, and and potentially not using any any tracking devices at all um, yeah so yeah loads and loads of things I did a um, uh, like a poll on my stories uh, it was a little while ago now it was probably about about three months ago and um i basically asked uh you know who would be lost if my fitness pal was to just remove yeah, from I remember the that. yeah. yeah. and it was 50 percent. so like mm. um it was brought one of my most answered ones and it just showed how many people use my fitness pal you know it was about, mm. about 300 people that kind of answered on the poll and yeah it was a 50 50 split nearly exactly um and people would be lost without my fitness pal and obviously that's it's that's quite a scary position to have to be in, you know, mm. not being able to feel like you can control or manage your weight if you are unable to track it in just a little, a little app, you know, it makes, makes yeah. you wonder how you ever did it in the past before it was invented, you know, and yeah. this is one I always um, often hear as well is I'll ask someone how they got on with their diet and they might say, you know, they might have been someone who was previously tracking and they might say something like, oh, well, I didn't track, um, you know, I didn't do very well, I didn't track and I'll go, all right, okay, well, you know, what, what did you change in your diet? And they'll say, well, nothing. I just didn't track, you know, and straight away that person feels like they've been off diet just because they haven't put it into my fitness pal. Mm. And this is to remember that whether you track it or not, a calorie deficit is a calorie deficit and a calorie surplus is a calorie surplus. Um, you know, and, and this is something to remember is that, you know, I haven't tracked calories now in, um, well over a couple of years. And, you know, on my last fat loss phase, I didn't on my next fat loss phase. I won't, whether I ever will again, very doubtful, unless I was going to, you know, probably get, get onto stage. Mm-hmm. And this is something to, to, to be aware of is that, um, you know, a tracking approach to weight loss works really well for some individuals, just same way that it doesn't work for other individuals. Same thing for this, you know, non-tracking approach will work if you are, um, somebody who has perhaps some really actually bad, you know, nutritional habits at the minute, just by making some small changes, like you mentioned there, the food swaps, you know, straight away without having to even look at my fitness pal or something like that, you'll be able to lose a lot of weight quickly by making some small subtle changes. Mm. However, and, and I think same again, if you are very, very educated with nutrition, you can do the same thing. A non-tracking approach will work brilliantly because it's like you, likely you already know roughly how many calories are in, you know, your, your daily kind of, um, your daily diet and therefore you know actually quite easily and quickly how you can adjust things to um to create that that calorie deficit however it's probably not a great approach to take for individuals who have very extreme goals perhaps yeah. very short-term yeah. goals um and you know where maybe hunger is going to be a completely overriding factor in terms of um remembering what you've taken in or being able to really control what you take in so mm-hmm. people stepping on stage are probably going to need to track macros at some point. You know, there's very few people these days who will get to stage without doing that. It's yeah. certainly small. Yeah. People obviously did it in the past before my fitness pal, but you know, it was typically with the very clean eating diet that was just the exact same every single day. You know, so it was not particularly flexible. Uh, and this this is another one really for like non-tracking approaches to weight loss is 
the the I guess the original was the clean eating approach. You know, yeah. you have to count calories. And that's something to remember. Is like that was how it was marketed. You don't have to count calories. Just eat these foods and prioritize these foods. What does it make you do? It makes you emphasize protein. It makes you emphasize fiber. You know, you eat lots of lean proteins. You eat plenty of fruit and veg, loads of whole grains, and loads of whole foods. And this obviously tends to lead itself to better appetite suppression, um, uh, just better, um, uh, better, just general micronutrient intake. You know, better quality to the diet, more energy, and lo and behold, you'll, you'll typically lose a lot of weight and you didn't have to track. So that's something obviously to bear in mind is a non-tracking approach to weight loss. It works at different ends of the spectrum where you could keep your diet exactly the same, um, you know, and you could just take out something or you can completely flip your diet on its head, prioritize certain things, you know, that are going to lead to low calorie intake and straight again, you've lost a load of weight with a non-tracking approach. So it works for both ends of the kind of spectrum really quite well. Yeah, one of the ones that I really found quite interesting was before we, we started recording the call was, uh, you said about making your diet incredibly bland. And yeah. my immediate response was, which is, which is interesting because I caught myself out or at least you caught me out. My immediate response was, well, that's not gonna be sustainable. And it's like, well, does a diet need to be sustainable? And that's a really interesting point. Like if you make your diet incredibly bland to a point where you are not tempted to overeat, yeah. um, then the likelihood of you overeating is significantly reduced. You, you reduce your calorie intake and thus you lose weight. And it doesn't need to be sustainable. It just needs to be effective in, in helping you lose weight. And then, you know, you, the approach that you take to maintain body weight is going to be entirely different anyway. So um, yeah. that's a really, really interesting one. I like that. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's good. I think it, the best thing that a non-tracking approach will give someone to weight loss, presuming you tell them to do this, is to get them to be much more in tune with their eating. Mm-hmm. Um, so much more intuitive with, um, you know, and, and this is one of the things that I've, I've seen um, from certain uh, like diet groups, like branded diet groups, which is good, is that when they get them to fill out their, their food diaries each day is that, you know, they've got a... Um, a category for how did that make you feel? You know, what was your hunger like before you ate that? What was your hunger like after you ate that? How did your energy levels feel? And that's great because my fitness pal has taken away, you know, tracking has taken away people's actually thoughts about what are they eating, you know, because it becomes, oh, I've got this many calories left today. Cool. It means I'm going to have a tub of Halo Top and oh shit, I've got to hit my protein. So I'm going to have cooked chicken. (laughs) <laughs> Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like people start yeah. doing these really strange combinations <laughs> because they're just trying to hit numbers in the diary. Yeah. They haven't yeah. thought about actually. It's got to the end of the day. I'm under my calorie targets. I'm not hungry. Cool. I'm going to go to bed. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's sure. it's, become, it's become gamified, and people unfortunately start falling into negative habits from tracking. Um, whereas maybe they would have been in a better position if they would have taken a non-tracking. So it's something that I think if you're currently someone who tracks, you know, religiously through MyFitnessPal and you don't have any kind of um, uh, like short term goals, you know, you're not doing anything for any particular reason. You're not working with a coach. You know, so that's a big thing as well. If you're working with a coach who's getting you to do these things, that's completely understandable. You know, you're doing it for a reason. However, if you're someone who's just tracking and you're just kind of going through the motions, you don't have any particular goals right now. 
maybe try and spend a little bit of time with a non-tracking approach. Fill out a food diary, write it down, you know, see how you felt in terms of how was, you, how was your hunger before you ate that? How did it make you feel? And then just have a quick look and see how well you're able to maintain weight away from an app telling you what to do. Um, I, I think a lot of people would be surprised with how how easy it actually can be. And it's not for everyone, yeah. but I think people would be surprised for sure. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Um, cool. I think that's that's me. That's me tapped out. Yeah, awesome, mate. I think we covered a few a few points there that people can hopefully take away and, and implement themselves or with their clients. That's really, really cool, man. Um, awesome to chat to you, Ads Dude. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Uh, we'll be back again next week with uh, the next topic, of course. Uh, do look out on our social medias. We'll probably try and get some questions from you guys uh, and fill in the gaps with those. Have a great week, guys, and we will speak to you soon. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Team No Cabs Radio. Remember, planter flexion, dorsiflexion, progressive overload, and boom, anything is possible. <laughs>